Every religion, every worldview tells a story. That story gives meaning and purpose, tells us how we ought to live, tells us what life is all about. And usually that story goes something like this. God, or God's paradise, whatever you have, is at the top of a mountain. And in order to get to God, in order to enter paradise or nirvana, you have to ascend the mountain. You have to do certain things to get up to God. Whether that's Islam's five pillars or Buddhism's eightfold path, you have to do something to get up the mountain. But Christianity tells a very different story. It begins in the same place with God at the top of the mountain. But in this story, we are not able to come up. And so God himself comes down. And that's what Paul is telling us about in Philippians 2. Have you ever asked yourself, what were you thinking? Maybe you've asked that to another person. Have you ever wondered, what was God thinking? What was Jesus thinking? Well, Paul tells you right here in Philippians 2, when he says, have this mind in you which is yours in Christ, He's telling you exactly what Jesus' mindset is. It's the mindset of humility. It's the mindset of a humble God. And Paul actually traces his descent and then his ascent. And so first Paul tells us how Jesus comes down. He says he begins, he begins his story in heaven where he says that Jesus is in very form God. It is his nature. It is his essence. It's who he is. But then something interesting happens. We're told that Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, what does that mean? It's a rare word, but what Paul is saying is that Jesus did not stand on his rights. He did not claim his privileges. He did not grasp for what was rightfully his. Now compare that to you and me, and we grasp all the time, don't we? We typically grasp for things that are not ours, things that we are not entitled to. And so what we see right here in Jesus is that he grasps, he he gives up what is rightfully his. And the one who is in very nature God steps down, and Paul says he takes on the form of a servant. The king becomes a servant. He renounces his privilege. He doesn't He doesn't give up his deity, but he renounces his privileges in order to take on a new form, the form of a servant. The creator becomes a creature. The king becomes a servant. And then we see that the servant becomes a curse. In verse 8, Paul says that being found in human form... Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient. Obedient to whom? To what? Paul doesn't tell us here, but Jesus tells us plenty of times. He is obedient to his Father's will. That's what Jesus says repeatedly. I have come to do the will of my Father. Even the night of his arrest, when Jesus is staring his own death in the face, he says, Father, if there's any other way, 
yet not my will, but yours be done. He was obedient to the point of death. And not just any death. Paul says the death of a cross. You really can't go any lower than that. The cross was not just any ordinary death. The cross was a death for murderers and traitors. People who rebelled against the state. That's who they reserved the cross for. We have crosses decorating our home. You may have some on jewelry, or maybe you've tattooed some on your skin. And while that's normal, maybe in 21st century America, it's not so normal in 1st century Rome. If we did that in 1st century Rome, people would look at us kind of odd. It'd be something like decorating your house with the electric chair. Uh, The cross is an instrument of torture, an instrument of death something of shame. If you had a relative or knew someone who was crucified, you wouldn't have talked about it. You certainly wouldn't have boasted about it. And yet, that's exactly the kind of death that Jesus embraces, the death on a cross. Why does he do that? Again, Paul doesn't tell us right here, but Jesus tells us himself in Mark 10, 45. He says, he came to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus embraced the scandalous, shameful death of a cross to pay for your sin and mine. He came as a ransom for many. This is how theologian John Owen puts it. He says, Sin brought the Son of God from the heights of heaven to the depths of hell. You see, the cross is where you and I deserve to be. We're in rebellion against a holy God. We've spurned him, we've turned our face to him, we've run from him again and again and again. And what does that holy God do? He comes and he takes our place. That's what Jesus is doing on the cross. The humble God dies in the place of proud sinners. And it doesn't end there. Jesus doesn't just go all the way down. He then goes all the way back up. He ascends. Paul tells us what that looks like in verse 9. He says, Therefore, because Jesus was obedient to the point of death, because Jesus humbled himself, his Father gives him everything back. He rewards him. It says he highly exalts him and gives him the name above every name. I have three sons. They love to use the word goat, greatest of all time. The ironic thing about using that phrase, that acronym, is that the more you use it, the less it means. Just think about it. The more you say somebody's the greatest, like there can only be one greatest of all time. So the more you say it, it's kind of like using the word awesome for everything. It kind of ceases to have any meaning, right? That's what, I'm not going to use the word goat, but Paul here is saying that Jesus is the greatest. That he, he is given the highest place. He is given the name above every name. There is no one higher. There is no one greater. Why does he, why does he receive that name? So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, here's the thing. 
when Jesus comes the second time, it will not be like the first time. The first time Jesus came in humility, his glory was veiled. He was born to peasants in a barn and spent his first night in a feed trough. That will not be how Jesus comes a second time. When Jesus comes a second time, his glory will be fully revealed. And everyone who sees him will have to bow the knee. And not all those knees will bow gladly. They will bow in submission, but they will not bow gladly. Because that day will be the day of judgment. And on that day it will be too late. And so as the Old Testament prophet says, today is the day of salvation. And our invitation to you, our desire for you, is that this Christmas you would bow the knee to Jesus gladly. That you would humble yourself before the humble God. And that you would confess him as your Lord and Savior. And here's the good news. When you do that, then all of the benefits of Jesus' death, his life, his death, and resurrection become yours. You no longer have to climb a mountain. Jesus has come down the mountain and climbed it for you. And when you trust in him, you receive the benefits of his work. You are brought back up to heaven with him. Do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Our hope for you this Christmas is that you would. Our mission here at Grace Fellowship is to help people know and follow Jesus. And so if you're here tonight and you're wondering, what in the world does that look like? What does it mean to have a relationship with God through Jesus, his son? Let's talk. Let's talk afterwards. We'll actually be here tomorrow for worship on Christmas Day, and we'd love for you to join us at 11 o'clock. But our hope for you is that you would learn to know that you would put your trust in Jesus and that you would learn to follow him. Let me pray. Our good and gracious King, thank you for coming down to us. Thank you for humbling yourself, for making yourself low, and then bringing us back up. I pray, Lord, that we would believe that good news, that we would trust in you with all of our heart and soul that we indeed would bow the knee to you tonight and confess that you are Lord. And we pray this in